This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Jamar Perry, welcome to Better Reading. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny old world we're living in now. I'm in San Francisco <laughs> and you're in DC, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's changed. Um, COVID has been life-changing. Okay, Jamar is an American author who studied psychology, English literature and education before becoming a middle school teacher. He then undertook a PhD at the University of Maryland, which focused on the history of black masculinity in America and racial literacy. Um, He's here to talk to us about his debut novel, Cameron Battle and the Hidden Kingdoms, which features a young black protagonist and is inspired by West African and Igbo history and mythology. Congratulations, first novel, and you're published by Bloomsbury. (laughs) That's Well, I know. First novel and and, and right, an amazing, amazing publisher. It's like my, so interesting because like I grew up reading Bloomsbury novels and then now I'm I'm a Bloomsbury author. So it's so funny how things just kind of come around. Yeah, yeah. It seems to me that you don't get much sleep. You're a middle school teacher um, and you've done a PhD. <laughs> oh, like I am exhausted. I'm exhausted all the time. <laughs> and especially I was writing, I was writing this, um, I was writing my debut novel, like right when I was writing my dissertation. So I was writing both at the same time. So it was, it was tough. Yeah, it was mm. tough. I'm, I'm sleeping a little bit more these days, but back then it was, whew, it was one of the, it was, it was tough. <laughs> um, are you still teaching? No. So what I do now is since I got my PhD, um, so I guess I'm still in kind of the teaching vein. I train middle school teachers for the classroom. So oh, I wow. really take all the stuff. Yeah, I take all the stuff that I've learned as a middle school teacher and as a writer and things like that. And then I train teachers in order to teach the kids that I used to teach. So that's yeah. what I do now. Mm. Okay. So you were talking to me about that you grew, grew up reading Bloomsbury books. Mm-hmm. So with um, Cameron Battle and the Hidden Kingdoms, we do have a black protagonist, and mm-hmm. I want to talk about that in relation to what you were reading when you grew up, mm-hmm. and what is it that you would like to see more in children's literature? Oh, thank you. So, oh, that's a great, great question. So, I really, really want to see. Um, so, Cameron is a is a black. 12-year-old boy, but he's also a Black queer uh, 12-year-old boy as well. And so that has, to my knowledge, there's never been a traditionally published novel that, that kind of deals with um, a Black queer boy and what he goes through and some of the feelings that he goes through and how he finds love for the first time, right? And so for me, I really want to see more novels that kind of deal with that as an experience. I want to see novelists. I want to see Black male novelists because we don't really see them as much either. Um, and so I really want to just delve into how you know, Black boys become um, heroes and how Black boys deal with the emotions of what it means to be a hero. Because so often, so oftentimes we read a book, uh, especially when I was a child, I think about all the books that I read as a child. So often that we read books that, 
you know, the hero is static throughout the novel. They come fully formed, right? They, 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 see, they see a challenge and they want to undertake it. They see uh, someone tells them that they have magic and they completely just say, they just accept it, right? But if you read Cameron Bow in The Hidden Kingdoms, that's just not who Cameron is. Like he's told that he's a hero and he's told that, you know, that he has magic. But there's so many parts of the novel where he doesn't want to be that. He doesn't want to be a hero sometimes. He doesn't want to have magic. He doesn't want to learn to fight. He wants to go home, right? And I think that's, I think that is such a, uh, a 12 year old thing to do and, and, and to understand yourself as a 12 year old kid by saying you want to be an adult, but then there's, then there's other times where you want to be a child too. And so I really want to just see more um, black male protagonists. I want to see more black queer protagonists. And I also want to see black boys grappling with what it means to be a hero and what it, and the emotions surrounding that, because too often, too, too often times our hero comes out fully formed. And I really don't really like that. I really like the fact that there's a journey and a process to becoming a hero. And so I really want to see more novels like that as well. Oh, and also that they're flawed, just like the rest right, of us. Right, they're flawed. They're just like the, they're human beings, just like the rest of us, right? Yeah. Um, and they make mistakes. And sometimes when you're a hero, when you're trying to fight for the greater good, People die along the way <laughs> and you make mistakes and you, um, you know, uh, things get destroyed along the way, too. And we see that in Cameron Battle as well. And so, like, I love that you said that they're flawed and that's what Cameron is. He's a flawed human being because he's because bad things have happened to him in the past. Right. And because he's been through that trauma and he's been through so much in his um, his his early childhood already at 10 years old, he loses his parents. So. You know, he's been through so much, so we can expect him as a 12-year-old boy to not want to be a hero. And so I really hope that that message comes through. Yeah. I want to talk about diversity in children's books and just diversity in general. What, and you can correct me here, but what I've noticed just through observations with hanging out with young people, right, in Sydney particularly, Mm -hmm. and it's not as diverse um, as, say, San Francisco or or DC, Mm -hmm. but young people more and more, And as I said, you'll know uh, about this better than me because you've taught in schools. But I feel as though they're so non-judgmental. They're so Mm -hmm. accepting of what we give them, particularly the little Mm -hmm. ones like the primary school age. You know, if you say, well, yeah, well, so-and-so's got two heads, they're like, oh, okay, all right then, you know. Right. So-and-so's got Mm -hmm. two heads. You know, they're they're really, um, they're accepting, I think, of diversity. They're accepting of, you know, gender gender differences, of skin colour, of race and yet there's not the literature to match that you know that's really interesting to me it's because they'll read what we give them but we hadn't been for a long time giving them anything with diversity I was just literally talking to my my best friend about this the other day and we're going through something in America now where you know, books are being banned because they're teaching diverse things, right? We're we're being banned because, you know, we're talking, we want to talk about slavery or we want to talk about the, or we want to talk about Jim Crow or, or if we want to talk about, you know, people being queer and the queer rights movement and the women's movement and things like that. And all these books are getting banned in America. And so I was talking to my best friend because she's a teacher too. And we have that same, um, like what you're talking about. I had that same type of experience when I was a teacher. My kids were just radically open to, things that were different, right? Mm. They were radically open to different races and they were open to, so uh, I'm, I'm saying, okay, this, this this character is queer or I'm talking about, you know, this happened during slavery. I'm, talk, or I'm talking about this happened during the civil rights movement or I'm talking about the Harlem Renaissance, right? So my kids were just very, very open to the things that we um, put in front of them. But the problem is it's the adults really 
right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the adults mm-hmm. that want to make these changes and want to tell children what they can and what they cannot read. And so that's what happens, I think, unfortunately, is that children are not born into racism. They're not born into, uh, well, they're not born into a mindset of racism, I, I would say, right? They're not born into a mindset of, you know, I'm going to be racist today, or, they, or they're not born into a mindset of, I don't want my children around diverse people, right? They are they are told these things by adults in their lives by telling them they they, they become people who believe in racism and they become they be, they become people who um, don't believe in diversity because an adult told them so right and an adult told them that you can't hang around this this group of people because of this you can't you can't learn this history because of this and so it's really really unfortunate because it's it's not really the students that are having the issue it's the adults that are having the issue which is really really disappointing and it's upsetting and i wish that you know things would change and i and i think that and i explore that a little bit in not explore that i i didn't i don't really explore that in my novel as much per se but i there are certain things in the novel that were supposed to be in the novel, but I had to take out of the novel because of the, the issues with conservatism in America, the issue with book banning in America, and the issue with taking books out of the library and away from students, right? So Cameron is a Black queer boy, but there's so many scenes that were in the novel where he's exploring his love for Zion that I had to take out because I didn't want the book to get banned and I didn't want the book to get, you know, out of out of students' hands. So like, 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 as you said, students are just very, very open to, to things different than them and to, to the world around them. But it's the adults that, that are really trying to change everything. And it's just so sad. We're, we're really, like, really repeating history and, we're, and we don't know that we're doing it. It's so sad. This book banning business is something I just can't get my head around. I mean, it really has to stop. It's, it's not a very good trajectory for any of us, is it? No, it's not. It's just horrible. Mm, it is. And people starting to pick and choose what you read. I mean, oh, my God. It's like going going backwards millions of years. You said yourself that you've been a reader and you obviously have a PhD in masculinity in America and, and racial literacy. Mm. I wonder why why diversity wasn't around before. I wonder who who were the gatekeepers. Was it the publishers? Like, was it, I think about that often, you know, I think Mm -hmm. about, you know, when people start talking to me about, because I talk to so many authors and and I've got great relationships with publishers and, and I just wonder why it's not there because it's not just white middle-aged people that read books. So Mm -hmm. how come it takes a big conversation for us to start thinking about it? Well, I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, it's a combination of socialization. It's a, it's a, um, a com- it's a combination of a socialization, racial literacy, what, what, like what you said, um, and also what America was found, founded upon, right? Because for so long, you know, Black people were told that they were barred from reading and they were barred from learning how to read and they were barred from learning how to write as well. And so when you tell a group of people that, you know, that your stories don't matter and what you went through don't matter. And, um, you know, you should and be that you out. can't be a hero and, and that you can't be a hero. Right. So when you're yeah. told that your entire life and you're told that for 400 years, really, um, from in American history, it was 400 years where black people couldn't learn how to read and write. And so when you when, when you are told that you begin to become socialized within that and that not, racism doesn't just affect the people that it's done to it's affect it's, it also affects the people in power as well. And so 
there, there's a whole structure where it goes from the, the personal and the interpersonal to now racism is now commodified, right? It's mm. now something that's, you know, that's seeped within American culture. And so because of that, you know, the majority of books are just by white characters um, that were written by white authors. And mm. so unfortunately we have a situation where, you know, and I used to be a teacher as well, as you, as you know, um, when I taught my black, my black boys were always, you know, hesitant to read because they've been they've been given all these messages that reading is just not for them and writing is just not for them. Right. They, they've been told their entire lives, like consciously and unconsciously by the American media, by their parents and by people in their neighborhood that, you know, you shouldn't be reading. You should be out playing sports or you should be out thinking about something outside of reading. Right. And so all this just trickles down. And so um, I can't remember who said this, but for black people, the past is violent, right? And sometimes we don't want to think about the past because it's so violent. The present is precarious, but the future is wide open to us. We can write, we can do, we can do whatever we want to do. And so I think that I think that, that message is, is starting to seep through now, which is why you see more books becoming more diverse. You see more um, black people writing, but again, it's still not enough. You know, it, ten, 10 black writers becoming famous. It's still not enough to keep up with the pace of <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of, you know, people of the dominant culture getting books and getting awards and, and, and selling millions of copies of their books. So I think that, it, again, it all goes back to the foundational part of this country and how this and how this country was founded. Mm-hmm. And we see that now, you know, we're starting to see the fruits of our labor. We're starting to see more black people writing, but it's, it's probably going to take another hundred years for us to even get to a place where. The, the amount of diverse authors reaches the amount of white authors. So, yeah. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Um, you know, it's difficult enough to get young boys to read of any, mm-hmm. <laughs> any background. Right. Well, and yet background. if you're giving them books mm-hmm. that they can't identify with, you know, it's, it's They're really. They're not going to want to read it. They're not going to want to read it. Okay, talk to me in a, about you and how you came to your career and how you came to writing. Where did you grow up? Go right back. I want to go right back to your schooling. What were you reading when you were young and how you came to writing? Yeah, so I remember I... It's so interesting that when I think about this question, you know, I've been thinking about I used to be a really, really big reader when I was a child because and I don't know if you see any in my other interviews, but I talk about like how, you know, growing up, I was very, very lonely. I was a very, very lonely child. I was a very, very isolated child and I was very, very depressed. 
I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't see it as depression back then because I didn't have a name for it, right? Um, until I got older. But when I was when I was younger, I didn't really, ha- I didn't have friends. Um, Why? Um, because I was different. I think so. My parents, we were we were poor growing up. I'm from I'm from a small town um, called Phoenix City, Phoenix City, Alabama. It is, it is in Alabama. It's um, it's, a, it's so small that you can barely see it on the map. It's very very small. And so my I grew up very very poor. And so because I grew up poor, I was I was seen as very very different. And I was seen as like I didn't I didn't have the latest shoes that that kids were wearing. I didn't I I didn't shop at the mall. You know, my mom took me to he took me to thrift shops. We went to Walmart right to get our clothes and things like that. And so I was very, very poor. So that was one thing that was, that was against me, uh, that people saw me as different. I was also, I also wasn't a very masculine Black boy growing up. I was very, very uh, effeminate. Um, I talked efem- effeminately. Um, I read a lot. And so because of that, I was always treated very, very differently because I didn't play sports. Um, I wasn't talking to girls a lot. I would sit by myself in the cafeteria. I would sit by, uh, I would sit by myself in the cafeteria because I was poor, and some sometimes I didn't have things to eat. Um, and then when I finally got on free lunch, we had this program called Free Lunch in America. Um, my food was free, and everyone else around me paid for their lunch. So I was just seen as just different. So there was a lot of issues that were happening when I was a child. Number one, I was poor, and number two, I didn't have that masculine thing that black boys were supposed to have growing up. And so I was bullied a lot and I was lonely a lot and I didn't have any friends and I didn't have many people to hang around me. Um, and so because of that, I always look to reading as like my source of escape. And I always Books look to reading. Books do that, don't they? They really, right, yeah, they, they really take you do. to another place. They really take me, they really took me to another place. And so I didn't want to read. And I remember growing up, I didn't want to read anything set in the real world because my real, my real world was horrible. Like it was, mm. it was, it was awful. And so I shied away from real, books that dealt with the real world. And I love books that deal in, in, in fantastical worlds. And so my writing journey really started for me learning how to learning, learning how to read and learning how to read effectively and learning like how to do sentence structure and things like that. And I always, always used to tell my students, like, if you want to be able to become a a good writer, you have to be able to read first. And so my entire life when I was in school, because I was so alone, um, I remember reading really got me through like my elementary, middle school and high school years. And so, but it wasn't until college when I really decided that, okay, I've read, I've read all the books that I think I can read. Now it's time for me to start putting my own experience into um, a fantasy novel. And that's what I did with Cameron Battle. So it really just started for me. My writing journey really just starts from me being a very, very lonely and very depressed and very friendless child to becoming a writer. And so I always tell, especially I used to tell my students all the time that, you know, just kind of be careful like what you say to other people because you can say or do something to someone and that can really control, that can really like, it can really predict the trajectory of their entire life. So because I was so friendless as a child, it's hard for me to make friends now. I'm 31 years old now, right? <laughs> so it's really hard for me to make the friendships that I really, I, I have friends, but I don't have really, I don't have deep connections with friends because I don't know how to do it. But I didn't really, I didn't have friends growing up. And so I think that my writing journey just really started from a, just a very, very lonely place and mm-hmm. wanted to see myself in literature. And that's what I did. So you're obviously a good student though. Were you getting good grades? Yeah, I great. I mean, I never, hardly ever brought home a B. Yeah, I was mm. very, very, because I read a lot. And so because I read a lot, I, when you read a lot, it just, 
it does something for you. I don't know what it does. There's research. I, I, I'm a, uh, my PhD is in literacy, but it's really in like, um, like high school type of literacy, like adolescent literacy and things like that. My PhD is not really into like the elementary side of it where you learn how to read, but there's something about just picking up a book every single day and reading and reading and reading and reading more complex novels that makes you smarter. It makes you more intelligent. And so I really brought home a B. Yeah. Yeah. And it creates a different world. Do you know, and, and I don't know, maybe when you grow up, there were more of them because you're a lot younger than me, but for a while there wasn't even that YA genre. You know, you just no. went from reading kids' books mm-hmm. to adult books, didn't you? I, and I, yeah, you went straight from reading. I remember, oh, so so interesting. Like, it wasn't until mm-hmm. I grew up with Harry Potter. Um, and so it wasn't until Harry Potter that, like, children's literature started to expand. And so I remember being 11 when Harry Potter came out. I remember being 12. So like, when Harry Potter turned 12, I was 12. When he turned 13, I was 13. Oh, wow. When he turned 14, <laughs> I was 14. So, like, that's literally how... My childhood, I, still, I remember being a senior in high school at 17 and Harry Potter turned 17 and that was the last book in the series. Um, and so it wasn't, there really wasn't a YA section of the bookstore until Harry Potter became a thing. And then after Harry Potter, we had the Twilights of the world that came out after Harry Potter did. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like I remember, I remember being in elementary school um, I had read all the kids' books. I was done. Like my, I would read, my thing was, to, I, I, I had to read a, my thing growing up was to read a book a day. And so I would read a book a day um, growing wow. up. Wow. And so because of that, I read, my library was so small because we were in such a small town that I remember in elementary school, my library was like, there's no more I can give you. So I just went from the kids section to the adult session because there was no YA. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I remember those times. Yeah, yeah. So how does a boy um, break the cycle? So, you know, you've studied psychology, Mm. English literature, you've become a teacher and you now have a PhD. Tell me how that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. Like for me, I just, I don't know how it happened. I think that. Oh, I just think that having people around me who were always pushing me to 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 do to just to keep going, like I like I I talk to I talk to my brother about this all the time. Like I don't know, like if it wasn't for reading and if it wasn't for librarians around me who gave me books to read. Um, I remember I still remember in high school where because I was so lonely my entire schooling career, I would always go to the library at lunch and my librarians would always give me things to read. They would give me uh, new books that were coming out. They would give me newsletters. They would let, they would let me do presentations, you know, on, on the new, the newest books that were coming out. They let me write blog posts on the, the books that I read. Um, and it got to the point where I was using all that stuff that I was reading and all, and all the stuff that I learned from reading. And I was doing presentations around the city on like on reading and things like that. So for me, I just had like people around me who loved reading the same way I did, who pushed me and just kept pushing me and kept pushing me and kept pushing me. Um, Cause my parents didn't really understand me, you know, they, they were proud of me, but they didn't really understand what I was doing. You know, they were just like, okay, that's just who Jamar is. Right. Um, Where so are they? Where are they now? They're, they're still in Phoenix City, Alabama. Oh, they um, are. Wow. They're very, very proud. They're very, very proud of me now. But back then, I didn't really understand, you know, mm. what I was, what I was going through. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think for me, it was just having those librarians. It really was like I, I have to give a shout out to librarians, and I have to give a shout out to booksellers because 
they really were, you know, part of my my journey. So I think that's to me, I was just different. <laughs> you know, here here to librarians. I started my career um, as a library assistant many, many mm. moons ago. And I then worked in bookshops for many, many years. So mm. yeah, absolutely. Uh, particularly libraries. I mean, the service is so fantastic, you know, yeah. just really, I mean, uh, particularly for people, you know, books can be expensive and we need to be offering um, books for people to read. Now, listen, so then you decided you wanted to write, right? Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. you've got all this background and all this education, but tell me how you approached writing a novel. Oh, very painfully. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not easy. So, not easy. So I started, so when I, when I first started writing, I was in college, as I, as I mentioned, I was 19. Um, and as you can see, it took me 12 years to get here, right? Um, so when I first started writing, I remember just writing because I just opened up Microsoft Word and I just started writing. Now I remember that novel was horrible because it's my first, number one is my first novel and number two we call that practice. Right, that was practice, right? Yeah. That was, it was horrible. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even finish it. I didn't. I never finished a novel. Um, and then I started doing research as to like why I couldn't finish a novel and why you know why my first novel was so terrible. <laughs> and so I, and I realized that for me. Because I was used to like, as I mentioned earlier, like how every day I had to read a book a day. Right. Yeah. And every day I had like a schedule, like I had to go to the library at this time to pick up a book to read it, go home, finish what finish the reading, take it back to school the next morning, check it in, go to the library at lunch, pick up another book. Like I had a schedule. You were so busy. <laughs> I was busy. And so I remember. So in. I came to the conclusion when I was in college that the reason why this book didn't do do what I wanted to do, my first novel, was because I didn't have an outline. I didn't have a schedule. Like I, I needed to like make sure that I had to. It's so funny how like your your childhood just shows up into your adulthood, right? Yeah. So I didn't have a schedule. I didn't have an outline, and so I started outlining my next novels, and that's how I was able to finish a book. It still was it still was terrible, but I had an outline and I finished it, and I was like, "Yay, great, that's perfect." And then I realized, I said, so why is my book so terrible? And I realized that I needed to read more and I needed to read more in the genre that I wanted to write in. I wanted to write in fantasy and sci-fi. So I needed to pick up more of those books. And then I realized that when I picked up those books, I was realizing that I was reading books that were adult. And I'm like, no, I got to go read YA and middle grade books because that's, that is the age category that I want to write in. And so once I finally did my outlines and did my reading and did and, and did more outlining and did more reading into the age categories that I wanted to read in, that was when I finally started to, the pieces started to fall. They really start to fall together because I just start really paying attention to the market and paying attention to you know what's been published right now and paying mm-hmm. attention to the age, the stuff in the age category that's been published right now. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell people that if you want to be a writer, first thing you got to do is read first, and the second thing you have to do is read in the market that you want to write for. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I started to do. I start reading read a lot of children's books, and I was able to kind of get kind of rattle on the page. Can I tell you, because I've spoken to many, many, many authors, um, <laughs> Jamar, just to have written a second book that got published is a huge achievement. Some right. people write many, many books before they get published. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, uh, I wrote a lot of books before I got published. <laughs> <laughs> hey, tell me, are you going to stick to this genre? Yeah, I love I love fantasy. Yeah. I really do. Um, for I young might, people? I'm, yeah, for, for young people. I love fantasy for young people. I just... Love it. And I think that they need more representation, especially black boys. They just need of course. so much. Rep- they just need, rep- there's literally, 
I mean, there's not much like when it comes to the fantasy world and for black boys, there's I'm sure, you know, there's Tristan Strong punches a mm. hole in the sky and then there's Cameron Battle in the Hidden Kingdoms. Like that's pretty much it for black boys when it comes to fantasy. Now, contemporary, there's a lot more stuff out there for black boys, but for fantasy, there's not really much. So I just want to stay. I really want to stay here for now and see what happens. <laughs> well, keep writing. Uh, Jamal, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.